electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, live post 9 New York Stock Exchange. Front and center this hour, the sell-off. As more pressure on the banks weighs on overall sentiment now, yields plunging today and big questions about what the Fed will do next week on interest rates. We'll size it all up with the Investment Committee. And joining me today, we got Steve Leisman, too, by the way, who'll join us in just a moment as well. Bryn Talkington's with us, Jason Snipes, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, Bill Baruch. Got a good cast today. Let's take a look at the markets. Dow still down 575. Uh, we're down across the board, as you know uh, by now. Pressure on the banks across the board. Yields are a very big story today. There's the 10-year, 341. But the move in the two-year has just been absolutely stunning. Let's put up the intraday of the two-year, if we can, as well. Um, That gives you an idea of so many different things. Fed expectations, sentiment, where the economy may be heading. By the way, just before we came on the air today, uh, Jan Hatzius, Goldman uh, Sachs, their their chief economist, literally just handed to me as, as we come on. They take down their Q4 GDP outlook. Uh, on all of the fallout of all of this. So, Joe Terranova, where do you want to begin? PPI was negative month on month, retail unchanged. We got a lot to discuss. Oh, we know there's the massive deflationary shock that's unfolding right now. I think in an odd way, when you look at the S&P and you look at the NASDAQ, you're going to see a degree of resiliency because the breakdown in confidence is leading to this massive reallocation within the market where once again the mega caps are favored. So you're going to see Microsoft, Amazon, Netflix, Apple really have strong support and ultimately move higher. That's going to uh, provide a degree of resiliency. But overall, listen, we've had a dramatic change within the market. And I think what's really not being discussed is what have we done to confidence? I think we've cracked confidence tremendously. I think it's represented in the dramatic inflows of deposits that we see at Bank of America in the last four days, $15 billion. That's despite Mm -hmm. the implicit guarantee for uninsured deposits by the FDIC and the Fed. So the prudent behavior, the natural human behavior is regardless of that implicit guarantee, you're going to move your money. You know, I'm, I'm looking at this Hotsius note. And Leisman, I see you're looking at this, too. Um, Hotsius sure. is looking at the idea of what's happened with the stress in these banks, causing them to be more conservative about lending going forward. The macroeconomic impact of a pullback in lending will remain highly uncertain, he says, until the extent of the stress on the banking system becomes clear. I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, this makes sense to me, uh, Scott. Uh, The reason I have uh, held back on making a call on what the Fed is going to do is uh, for just the reasons that Goldman lays out, which is uh, trying to estimate or get an understanding of the extent to which uh, uh, 
tightening credit standards and tightening credit is going to affect the economy. I think we have a full screen of uh, what uh, Goldman just said in this report that you and I got simultaneously. I can read it. We have lowered our 2023 Q4, Q4 GDP growth forecast by 0.3 percentage points to 1.2 percent to incorporate these estimates of tighter lending standards, reflecting in part a larger downgrade to investment spending. So it's 0.3. It's not that much right now if it remains with the, uh, the smaller banks, which I think is the essence of what the Goldman call is right there. And I think the other issue, Scott, is the uncertainty over what this means for the economy, the disinflationary or, uh, as Joe put it, deflationary impulse. I want to show you very quickly, Scott, what's happened to the outlook for a uh, rate hike net next week's mm -hmm. meeting. It is now, in the last several minutes, now turned against the idea of any move at all. It is now 57.43 uh, for the Fed, making no change. And I believe we also have a full screen showing the dramatic change in the ECB outlook. That comes out tomorrow morning, 9.15. Uh, there's the Fed funds futures. Nice call guys that like to get to that right now three uh, the, and there's the ecb they're they're mm -hmm. keeping up with me in the back there 80 percent probability scott of just a 25 remember that was almost 100 percent for a 50 so they're now as you said backing off uh, uh the possibility of a 50 basis point hike uh tomorrow morning you know terminal rate now pricing i guess the last i saw was 467 so all expectations steve have have broadly come down uh, what are the chances that the Fed, in fact, does nothing next week? And what, what do they get by actually hiking even 25 basis points? Yay, they, they, they saved their credibility for 10 minutes. What else do they get? Let, let me go through the process that I think the Fed is going to go through. I think it's going to watch tomorrow morning at the ECB. See what the ECB does, how much concern is expressed there. By the way, just so you know, Scott, I have the terminal rate at 475. It might have been okay. 467 earlier in the volatility. We have just, uh, uh, just a minor point there. Here's the process, I think. Watch what the ECB does. Tomorrow at 4.30 p.m., I want you to put that on your calendar, we're going to get what's called the H41. Uh, not very important to most people most times, but it might be tomorrow. We're going to find out how much lending there has been at the window through today and also at the Fed's new program where it's offering uh, paper at par uh, for lending uh, to the banking system. OK, we'll see how much takedown there is there. I think over the next several days, the Federal Reserve will be watching very carefully a couple things. First of all, it has a view, I believe, of the uh, flow of deposits out of perhaps some of the smaller banks into the larger banks and how much how much of a problem that creates for those smaller banks or are they able to go to the windows and the new facilities and staunch that those 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 problems right there and i think they're going to be watching that right up until the very uh minute that they make a decision scott as to whether or not to hike i think they want to hike but i don't think they're going to hike into a disinflationary uh impulse from credit tightening so right now if you ask me to tell me what they're going to do next week i think they pause because i don't think they lose very much inflation fighting credibility if they take a pause and come back when things are more stable and hike again that's where i was kind of thinking it's like 25 basis points yeah. an additional one is does zero to fight inflation in the moment, but has every possibility of potentially creating more risk. Now, Steve Weiss, Apollo's Torsten Slock today says, quote, when the facts change, my view changes. A financial accident has happened and we're going from no landing to a hard landing. The Fed will not raise interest rates next week and we've likely seen the peak in both short and long rates. JP Morgan, 
Markets over the past three days have done the Fed's job for it. So where do you come down on this, Steve, as you're thinking about what, what happens next, Steve Weiss? You, you know, I sort of go back and forth, candidly, Scott. I mean, it, it, I think the Fed can not hike and still get their message very clearly across. Uh, so right now, I'm 50-50, that's changing minute to minute. So inflation is still stubbornly high. We've gone through the easy part of taking inflation down, right? And now it's will stay at 5 to 6% for a while. The, the risk to the Fed is that the markets then open up again, that you have liquidity because everybody says the market's done and then everybody parties on. So they've got to be very yeah, careful. I don't know about that. I well, don't know about I that. I mean, I think this time may be a little different, right? That, yeah, no, that I, there's a, I, there was a big shock this weekend. And yep. I don't think it's a, oh, okay, you know, they're not going to go next week. It's party on. I think right. part of them not going next week is, okay, this is, this is legit in terms of the seriousness of it. And right. it's not. <laughs> Let's just right. start throwing money hand over fist into stocks. Right. So, so let me finish. So I, I think that they can do the same thing with very strong messaging, saying that we're not done necessarily. We're going to watch it. If inflation remains high, we'll be coming back to it. And at this point, I believe Powell's got enough credibility in the tightening cycle where he can get away with that. Look, what, what we're seeing in the market is playing out according to script. And uh, not SVB, that, I don't think anybody predicted that, except maybe some who were shorted. But in terms of not knowing where you're going to see the effects of the Fed's massive tightening cycle. It happened to be there, but I can guarantee you it's going to be in other places. So I believe the debate between whether it's a hard landing or a soft landing, it, it, it's ridiculous. It's great cocktail talk, but the point is the economy's direction is down. The market direction is down. So that's really all you have to know at this point. And the Fed, the important thing is that while we're seeing the SVB issue and the tightening of lending standards, absolutely, that you're just at the tip of the spear in terms of the impact of the Fed tightening cycle because of the lag. So there's no way, in my view, that the market's going up. Market still is the easiest to analyze I think I've seen in 30 years being in the market at this point. Yeah. Now, you've been on the right side of it from the get-go. Um, that, that's been clear to all of us and our viewers, too, I think, at this point. Uh, by the way, the Dow's down about 657. I'm looking here at the bottom of the, the screen that's in front of me here. That's a better than 2% decline for stocks. All right, Bryn, just threw the ball to you. Uh, you wanna run with it where? Yeah, well, I wanna hit on two things. I wanna go back to what Joe said about, you know, this reallocation continues. He's, he's very spot on as people are selling commodities, selling financials, moving into technology. My question though is that I'm asking myself, if we go into this contraction, as I thought we should continue to go through the economic cycle, I don't think we continue to have this reallocation because once you go into a contraction and if things continue to break, what you don't want to own are economically sensitive areas like financials, industrials, real estate and energy. And so right now, technology is definitely held up. It's doing very well. It's you know, and, and so, but my question is, I don't think that actually does continue because I think the whole market as a whole will have to price lower if we continue to get these breaks. Because if the Fed ha does have a Fed put, 
It's not at 3850 on the S&P. That is not happening. And so it would have to be much lower. So I still think investors need to remain incredibly cautious, defensive, because to Steve's point, I think this is the tip of the spear on what else happens next. And the markets are mm-hmm. going to remain really skittish on any type of news that comes out, like the Credit Suisse, which is really like a penny stock and shouldn't be that big of a deal. But it is a big deal today. Yeah, well, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's been a big deal that's been sort of simmering, festering for for a while. Wolf Research, by the way, says the Fed, Fed put is back in place. Ed Yardeni made the argument here yesterday that the Fed put is back. Um, Jason Snipe, what's happening, as Joe was just pointing out, as Bryn was talking, is oil's slide continues. 66 bucks, 66.44 is where I'm looking at the oil trade. You, if you, you could probably overlay a, a, an S&P chart uh, or a Dow chart to crude today on an intraday basis. And as crude goes lower, the market goes lower. Your thoughts on that? Agreed, Scott. So oil obviously is down 11 percent uh, year to date. And, and what, I, what I think is being baked in is, is a recession, you know, a recession uh, sooner than later. And that, that's likely usually when we see oil prices start to pull back the way that they are. And there's, there's really no cred to China coming back online. You know, generally speaking, that would be inflationary for, for the oil trade, but, but it's really not. You know, and I, and I think there's just overall risk off sentiment it is not great. And I think that's why the energy trade is, is, is pulling back. And, and remember, you know, energy was a was a great contributor to earnings this quarter. Um, but that's likely also going to slow heading into the rest of the year. So there's definitely concern, you know, with energy below, you know, trending at 70 and below 70. I think that's definitely a concern going forward for the markets. Bill, Bill Baruch, yes. what, what are you gaming out here? Ironically, today's uh, first quarter GDP, Atlanta Fed GDP now, is moved up to 3.2%. I, I mean, that's probably a gasp for air. We're probably going to see that come back in a bit. Um, but you, the Fed put think? is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. The, but the Fed put is emerging. And that's what we're seeing is we're going to see a divergence here. We're going to see a divergence where you have a leading indicator, the stock market, and you have a trailing indicator, growth in the economy. And, and I'm not saying it's a bottom coming in today, but I think you need, be, need to be prepared for a similar event of two, end of 2018, end of 2019. And where the shift makes, where the Fed starts to pivot, and they're, going to, they're communicating this pivot um, potentially over the next couple of weeks. We're seeing the odds come in right now for a Fed rate hike. Um, now that they may not hike at all. And then they were seeing mm-hmm. rate cuts. We were seeing 75 basis points of cuts through September, 100 through December now. This is the exact type of pivot that, that took place at the end of 2018, end of 2019, and that's the playbook here. You know, Steve, I don't, Steve Leisman, I don't know about this notion that the you know, the Fed put is back. I mean, when we talk about that, we generally speaking are channeling the stock market in relation to a Fed put. The Fed put never left when it comes to the whole system. And that, I think you can make the distinction of, of course, if you think that the system is at risk, the Fed is gonna do what it did over the weekend 10 times out of 10. Yeah, Scott, you know I've long maintained that you all, you all around the table think that the Fed thinks about you guys more than they actually do. Um, I, don't, I don't think that the Fed is as focused on the stock market, per se, as it is, for example, on the bond market, or as you say, Scott, in the first order uh, financial stability. And that's one of the reasons why I think the Fed would lean towards not hiking in this context, because ultimately they, uh, they, they would not want to... If they can't have financial stability, they can't really impart their policy to the market. So that doesn't really matter much. And as somebody else said, the market is doing the Fed's work for it. I do want to point out, Scott, 
There are a variety of uh, systems in place right now that have echo from the financial crisis. For the ECB to get dollars, there's at least two programs in place, one of which is an existing swap line if there is a demand for dollars. There also have been attempts, and I, I don't know that they'll be successful, but to try to ring fence or otherwise make clear where the counterparty risk is among the banks. So some of the things that plagued us the last time around, hopefully some of these new programs and systems in place now should not be a problem where there's dramatic concern about where things lie. And I think a third very important point is there is not much concern at this point, as I can tell, about collateral. This is not about, somebody was saying how GDP is up, consumers are doing relatively well. There is not a big concern about the collateral held by banks. That collateral is treasury securities, mortgage-backed securities, relatively safe collateral at a relatively high level. So in that regard, this should be a very different type of banking incident, I would call it, than the last time yeah. around. I just wonder in some respects too, Steve, whether the the Fed needs to get out of the Stone Age and get into the digital age <laughs> and, and understand what a systemically important financial institution looks like today versus what it looked like years ago. And as Roger Altman, I thought, so perfectly laid out, <laughs> SVB might not have been a systemically important financial institution on the official list last Thursday, but it was proven to be so by virtue of what the Fed did over the weekend. Maybe we need to rethink the whole paradigm here about that very question. So uh, banking expert Gene Ludwig had an excellent column about this this morning where he points out that if we're going to be able to move money at the speed of the Internet, we better be able to raise money in the banking system to meet those demands um, uh, at the speed of the internet as well. So perhaps we're gonna have to upgrade that whole system of being able to respond to what was essentially a digital bank run uh, created by tweets uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, another thing, Scott, is what I'm seeing out there now, given that there does not be, seem to be too much opposition to this notion of what the uh, Treasury did and the FDIC and the Fed, which was to essentially, or implicitly, back up all uninsured deposits in the system. Scott, there is no tolerance in this world today for the payment system going down. Our payment system, we need to act like a utility. And so the idea that one bank, a 16th largest bank, a $200 billion bank, could disrupt that payment system, there is no tolerance for, net for that. And that needs to be fixed as well. We need our payment system to operate like our lights and like our water does. Um, and, and if it goes down, there's just no tolerance for that. It needs to be backed up and secured. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. So Jason Snipe, you know, we, we've seen more pressure on the banks today. It was just a day ago that Carrie and Jim, who were sitting here, told us they bought First Republic, you know, in the, in the midst of the, the carnage in that stock. Here we have that stock specifically under, under more pressure today, but you sold the KRE. What statement are you making here? I did, Scott, and I sold it last week. Obviously, the fallout uh, from SVB and Signature Bank is significant. You know, but for me, I, the way I quickly sum it up is one optionality. I mean, Joe mentioned this at the top. You know, all, all the inflows into Bank of America. I think, folks, I think it's great that the Fed backstop deposits, but I think 
you know, from a sentiment perspective, a lot of these deposits are looking elsewhere. So for me, looking at, at that piece, sentiment, and then also the cost of capital, what is it going to cost these banks going forward uh, to, to bring in or market to that next incremental depositor, whether it be an individual or, or business? I think that's going to be difficult going forward. Uh, we'll see what happens from a regulation perspective. That obviously could take some time, but that also will potentially put some pressure on margins. So for us, I don't think it was prudent for us to own the basket. I know there's idiosyncratic stories to each individual regional bank, but that's why we decided to unload it. I feel like, Joe, you know, in some respects, the, the irony is, is just rich of coming into this year, people were offsides in, in terms of positioning, right? You're like, no, you want to be in energy. You want to be in what worked last year. You want to be in industrials. Some of these stocks have been hitting new highs. Materials. Materials, stuff like that. And we're like, no, it's going to revert back. It's going to go back to what worked in 22 is going to work in 23. Maybe that was a leading indicator of what's actually going to work this year. To your point about technology had been outperforming. No one was positioned for that, yourself included. And now you're noting it as, okay, maybe that's one of these places that is going to work in an unworking market. No, it, it, it's clearly, it's, it's spot on your analysis. When I think of the three major sectors coming into the year that represented this potential paradigm shift away from growth towards cyclicals and values, healthcare, energy, financials. Bill, you said financials before. We cited how much they're down so far year to date. And I do think there has been a dramatic shift. Uh, clearly, I'm part of that. You could see it. It's represented in the ETF uh, that, that bears the representation of my strategy. You could see that the exposure I have right now to energy is overweight. And, you know, th there's two things I think of when I see that. There's disappointment in knowing there's nothing I could do about it until April 30th when I re rebalance. And then there's also happiness that I actually can rebalance on April 30th. So the strategy will wear, go where it needs to go. I will tell you today, I will on the close take probably increase the position size in that ETF to the largest that I've had since its inception, because I believe in the strategy. But clearly, I will acknowledge right now, everything you said, that positioning is absolutely not working year to date. And it is telling you where the economy's going and where the market's going. Yeah. Hey, Leesman, thank you very much for being with us uh, for the first 21 minutes of our show. Appreciate having you. I'll see you later on, I'm sure. Uh, throughout the day. I want to get to our halftime headliner, Tom Lee. He's Fundstrat's managing partner, head of research there. Um, Tom, welcome. It's good to have you back. I think most yeah, people great to know, see everybody. Yeah, I, I think most people know you as one of the more positive voices about the market from the get-go, really. And I think my first question to you is how could you possibly still be as positive as you were two weeks ago today? Uh, Scott, we can't. Um, we sent a note out to our clients on Sunday evening just noting there are going to be ripple effects from the SIVB failure because um, the cost of money for banks is going up, so it's going to drive a necessary contraction in credit. And it's pretty clear to us, especially talking to some founders, that uh, not only are, are many no nervous where they bank, but uh, some regulators have actually been advising banks to pull back their sort of lending to fintech startups. So I think you're going to see job losses start. So I think that this is all a, as Steve put it, a pretty big deflationary impulse coming. And it's almost now raising stakes in terms of what the Fed does. So I, I think it's tough 
Trump's got to be bullish here, but it doesn't mean that we've broken the economy. Well, yet. But yet. I, I understand. Look, there's a difference between uh, the toughness, your word, of, of being bullish and just flat out wrong. Is it wrong to be bullish today, Tom? Uh, I think it's wrong to be bullish short term because it's not like anyone can step in today and say, oh, the market's down 2%. I want to buy equities. Um, now, we haven't been overweight financials. As you know, our top pick this year has been technology, and that's actually holding up great. But the reason I think someone could say you haven't broken the market long term is, number one, the biggest risk to the market has been inflation. I mean, that's been a problem for, number one, banks, because their, their mortgage holdings and their securities holdings have been hurt by higher rates. And it's also because it's, you know, higher rates have, and inflation risk have pressured P.E., I mean, if we've broken inflation, which is pretty apparent looking at Fed fund futures and the inflation break-evens and even yields, that's actually helping to reliquify banks. So it's taking out some of the risk there, but it's also helping PE. You know, the S&P today is at 14 times next year's earnings ex-FANG. So if you look at sort of the median stock, the market has derated huge. I mean, you're getting over a 7% earnings yield today owning equities. So. Have you changed your own view on whether you think we're going to have a recession, right? People are taking down their growth forecast. Credit is undeniably going to be, become harder to come by. I think we can all agree on that. It's the, the degree to which it, it happens, but it's inevitable, it seems, that it's going to happen at least to some magnitude. Have you changed your own view on, on that simple question, recession or not? Scott, I think the risk of a recession is much greater because when you have a credit event, it's a credit shock. Um, but I do think a discussion that's going to come up is what people talked about last year, which is rolling recessions. I mean, we had a rolling recession. I mean, we have a depression now in the startup world, um, which is a huge engine, you know, jobs engine. But we've had rolling recession in other industries. So the question is going to be with households not highly levered and with corporates not highly levered, the recession dynamic is going to play out differently. I think that's why uh, even Steve says this is a financial episode, but not necessarily the same risk of 08. So, Scott, I think the risk of a recession has become elevated. That's why the curve is uninverting. But I think we still have to figure out, is it unverting because, uninverting because inflation broke, which isn't really recessionary, or is it because the economy broke? Well, I, I think it's the latter would have more people's vote. Don't, don't you think that by virtue of what happened with the banks, you know, the Fed broke something and the ultimate impact of that is on the economy itself. Wouldn't you agree? Correct. That's right. But Scott, it, if, if the inflation broke and now it looks like the economy could break, it is an easier job for the Fed because they know how to deal with a, a contraction dynamic, especially around credit. Um, I'm not saying that's bullish. But it does mean we shouldn't be saying that, that we are destined for a deep recession. I think it's still, I still, I think there's a possibility that we don't have a landing. But again, the odds have really shrunk because of what happened. Yeah. Hey, Tom, forgive me. I'm going to leave it there, okay? I got to get to the European close, which is coming up in a matter of moments, too. A significant event there. Those markets on edge, uh, probably even more so than we are here, just given the credit suisse situation, some of the fallout from there. That's Tom Lee of Fundstrat. We're right back again. We'll show you exactly how the European markets close when we come back. We'll be live in London next.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Take a look at the market. Dow's down by near 700 points right now. Down 682, more concern over the banks, uh, certainly, certainly leading the market conversation today. Bond yields are plunging. There's really no other word for it. 377 is the yield on the two-year as we speak. 338 is the yield on the 10-year as we speak. And that's a real point of concern uh, at the moment. European markets are closing for the day as well. Let's get right to CNBC's Juliana Tattlebaum live in London in the newsroom for us. Juliana. What a day it's been in Europe. Heavy selling across the region. And the epicenter of that selling, as you said, has been the banking sector. Credit Suisse leading shares lower across the banking space, down more than 30% at one stage, the biggest ever one-day sell-off. And what sparked the sell-off in Credit Suisse was a line, a line from the top shareholder, Saudi National Bank, ruling out more financial assistance to the troubled lender. Um, reports now suggest that Credit Suisse has appealed to the Swiss National Bank for a public show of support. Now, shares briefly uh, did trade uh, uh, up off of the lows and now into the close. We've sold off once again. Beyond the banks, which have sold off on the back of those Credit Suisse concerns quite heavily, we're seeing underperformance in oil and gas and basic resources names and more heavy selling into the close. On the reverse, on the upside, we've got healthcare, the uh, best performing sector in the market as investors flee for those more defensive names. Food and Bev and telecoms also have been more resilient than the rest of the bunch on the same basis. And you mentioned what you're seeing in bond markets stateside. You're also seeing a plunge in bond yields over here in Europe. This has investors positioned for tomorrow's European Central Bank meeting. The euro has come off sharply versus the dollar over the course of the day. The expectation is still that the European Central Bank goes for their well-telegraphed 50 basis point hike at tomorrow's meeting. But there are questions swirling as to whether the turmoil that we've seen in markets over the last 24 hours and over the last several days will be enough to justify a weaker 25 basis point rate hike or potentially nothing at all. Guys? All right. Juliana, thank you so much uh, for setting the table for us from London. Um, Let's bring in our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli. He's with us here live. Uh, 50 basis points, I think, would be shocking (laughs) by the ECB tomorrow. Um, I don't really want to have that conversation. I do, though, want to focus on yields here, which are stunning to watch. Moving too fast for anybody to get comfortable with uh, anything else. And this is one of those days uh, where it feels familiar where Stocks are kind of the tail, not the dog, and they're kind of the residual asset class. It's a, it's a result of everything else going on out there. So I do think uh, it makes sense that, if nothing else, the, we're, we're testing the bottom end of the range. You have too wide a range of outcomes between now and next week to gain any kind of 
comfort that you're going to say, we'll make a stand here. This looks fine. On the other hand, um, regional banks themselves are not really at the epicenter of what's happening today. They're just kind of giving back a little bit of yesterday's gains. Uh, they are also about $200 billion in market cap, the S&P regional banks right now. Um, that's less than Pfizer or Costco. Now, that's not to say that's the only risk is their equity value. It's mm -hmm. obviously much more now about the vigil for uh, where the rest of the economy starts to fall away. Uh, lower crude and lower yields are now bad news, whereas they used to be good news. We know this. We've turned that page, and that's where we are. I'm looking at crude oil, which yeah. uh, Joe is really, really focused on. 66.47, near 7% decline today. Right. Overlay that with stocks. I mean, yeah, so it's conveying clear, right? the message that, um, that you know, inflation is, is yesterday's enemy uh, for, for now. Uh, on the other hand, I think the Atlanta Fed just updated their GDP. Yeah, that's what we were talking about over, earlier. Yeah. yeah, right? I mean, so, uh, brilliant. Oh, no. Well, look, uh, it, the numbers are, are they, what, what they are. What model are they using? The numbers are what they are. And, I mean, we know what the inputs are. And it, 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 it's it's rear looking, but it's recent. It's not like the economy has fallen apart. So I do think that there's still a, a way you can say that this was a bit of an outlier situation that is now threatening to become front and center and create just this negative uh, kind of credit push uh, elsewhere in the uh, in the markets in the economy. What do you, what do you want to interject? I, I, I agree with my. I think you know. Again, as I said at the top of the show, when you look at the overall indexes, I think the index is going to hold up in this consolidation yeah. range. The S and P hasn't broken below 38, but what hap what has happened is you've now sparked this massive reallocation. At the beginning of the year, value was back. Everyone yeah. was overweight. How quickly do they not only pare back the overweight to equal weight, but now go underweight value? Because that looks to me like we're headed based on where yields are. Right. I mean, that's, of course, you're only talking about, you know, the marginal dollar, which way is it going? And, and obviously now it's, it's rushing uh, to Redmond, Washington. And, you know, Microsoft, I did an overlay, Microsoft versus the S&P has gone vertical in the last few days. That's not great news uh, because of what it means for people uh, feeling like they have to go to the $2 trillion giants to, to find some shelter. Um, but in aggregate, everyone's equal weight everything, right? Everyone's market weight, the market. And uh, I, I do think that it, right now it's just hard to pivot from, you know, to use that phrase, pivot from overheating, feds behind the curve, higher for longer, to we're now in emergency risk management mode, and the economy is, is treacherous, and we have to, we have to cut. Uh, yeah. So it, it's, it's not necessarily like, to me, it's more we're going to just stay sidelined a little bit. There's not a lot of cost to that, perceived cost to that. Uh, we're getting real close to the December lows in the S&P, right, 37.65. Everyone is watching. And so it's almost like, are we a little too close not to touch the hot stove? Uh, I think sometimes that, that becomes the effect. It's only March. I don't mean today. I, I just I mean agree. in general. Of course. Um, I know it's only March. The word of the year is yeah. going to be pivot yeah, in, sure. in, in some form or fashion. For and sure. we'll make whatever of that we have to. There's I'll no see pivot, Scott. Right. No, no, no. I'm not even uh, I'm not necessarily talking about the, the, the Fed pivoting, but I think we're all pivoting. Um, but thank you, Weiss. I'll see you, uh, yeah, see you in a couple, couple hours on closing bell. Uh, big tech coming back from earlier losses. We'll find out how the committee is playing that group. We'll do it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Big tech holding up reasonably well in today's sell-off. Dear Jabosa is here at Post Night. It's good to have you in the house yeah. as we're, you know, Adobe's after the bell today. No one's talking about that, right? But you are. You're looking at that. I am. And, you know, what we're seeing in the market now, if you think that there's going to be this flight to safety in the financial system, that could also play out in technology, right? These better capitalized big tech companies that no one has to worry about. Um, Adobe would be one of those, right? They are very well capitalized, but they did a very big acquisition, what, six months ago now, and that hasn't closed. So there is some concern over whether that can be done. Investors didn't like it to begin with. Now that it's under more scrutiny from the regular how is that going to play versus, say, a meta, which I know you've been talking a lot about, Scott, yeah, which I'm, is year of efficiency and just making cuts. I'm wondering how you're thinking about meta's broader effect on big tech, whether these additional cuts, as some are suggesting, give a lot of other people, <laughs> Alphabet included, cover to do even more. They do, but they're not taking the opportunity. Well, I yet. mean, yet, but it feels like Google and Alphabet has built up their staff and they're only making small cuts. And I don't know what it's going to take for them to make substantial cuts, but I think a lot of the street is asking that question as well. It's a balance, right? Because I think Senator Pichai would say that they're leaning into artificial intelligence, the next leg of growth, which big tech companies can do in this moment better than a well less capitalized, smaller company. Um, but it's a question. I mean, Alphabet has all the cover to do so, and they aren't. So Meta's almost making the other guys look bad. How do you just answer this simple question, and maybe the, the answer is a little more complex, of for big tech in general, what is the real fallout, if any, from what we've just witnessed over the weekend with SVB and, and some of the other issues that have cropped up? What are the regulators worried about for the banking system? The big banks getting bigger, big tech getting bigger probably a similar proposition there is that the bundle all of a sudden starts to look a little bit better. The best of breed companies, the DocuSigns, the Zooms, that saw enormous growth during the pandemic because they do one thing and they do it very, very well. Enterprises may say, okay, I'm going to go to Microsoft. They may not do everything the best, but they do it good enough. So you have these smaller companies that are more innovative, more disruptive, facing a tougher financing landscape, can't get off the ground. That has to do with Silicon Valley Bank too, by the way, because it would offer loans, certain products and services to smaller companies that couldn't get mm. banked with the bigger ones. Yeah, no, the analogy is a great one. Don't you it's think? I mean, the, the money from regionals flowing to the big guys like JPM, money from smaller tech flowing to the megas. Absolutely. And it creates a bifurcation. And as an investment manager, you look at technology and you just say to yourself, on one hand, you've got the attractiveness of what's almost perceived to be like a bank. I mean, some of these mega caps are <laughs> banks when you look at them. And then on the other side of it, you see a lot of the emerging software companies 
in need for capital still. Can they get the capital? Uh, I'm not so comfortable that I want to go there. So I think there's a clear bifurcation that's now happening within the market, and it's going to certainly favor and I think restore the premium valuation in a lot of those perceived banks. You know, Jason Snipe, D was talking about Adobe. You own that, right? I don't. I don't own Adobe, but oh, you don't you know, own Adobe. In, in, you in respect do. to I the do. conversation. Oh, Bill Baruch does. No, I don't. My mm-hmm. bad. Go, finish your, finish your yeah. thought. It's my bad, but I want to hear, hear from you anyway. Just finish your thought there, and I'll go to Bill Baruch. My bad. Yeah, real quick, as it relates to tech, obviously tech has gotten the bid this year, and my favorite name in the megacat tech space is, is, is Microsoft. And I think, as, as, as Deidre kind of described, you know, they, they have massive, massive free cash flows, $60 billion in free cash flow. You know, in the last quarter, Azure has decelerated. You know, EPS growth is only 6% on 2% revenue growth. But when I look at AI and other verticals and opportunities, you know, for companies like this that are, that are huge, you know, in the mega cap space, $2 trillion company, Apple, and, and the like, uh, these names, I think, in, in, in some uncertainty, as we see with some of the cyclicals, I think tech can continue to get a bid here, as well as some of the semis that are out here. Okay. Uh, Adobe, I mean, the elephant in the room is Figma, if that thing goes down. But in the February, if, uh, it, it fell 7%. I think the market digested that. What I'm really focused on is the free cash flow yield in Adobe right now. That's gone from 36% in 2019, 42% last year, and then it's really up to 43% in 2024, while SaaS is falling out of favor. Now, going into the theme that we're talking about, bigger tech companies sort of gobbling up this cash, gobbling up the the the, the, the on, on enterprise spending, you're going to see Adobe, I think, accelerate within this environment. And I, I, I like the stock quite a bit. I like tech. I also been leaning very heavily into semis right now. You you were thinking a lot about the Figma fallout, if you want to call it that. And my question to you is, is Figma existential for Adobe? I mean, does it continue to be disruptive without a Figma? And that's why people like the deal in the first place, because you've got incumbents like Canva. You've got Microsoft doing more here. If it doesn't happen, does that change your mind on Adobe? It doesn't change my mind on Adobe. I think the market suggested it, but they're going to use this Figma as a collaborative platform to replace, what is it, Adobe XD, I think it, it's, it's referred to. So I think that's going to be a, a massive upgrade. If they do get this deal done, I, I think it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be a really good tailwind in the coming years. If it doesn't, I think the market's already prepared for it not to happen. Bryn, you got Apple, you got Microsoft. Are you, are you of the belief also that if, if we do take a bigger economic hit than some had modeled in a week ago, that to Joe's point, these are some of those safety points that you want to look at, Apple, Microsoft, and, and maybe others? Yeah, I mean, I've got NVIDIA too, right? So I think that right now, these are definitely the safe haven tech stocks. But where I, where I anchor on is that if we're late stage going into recession, you know, financials, industrials, and tech, real estate, and energy don't do well. And so as it relates to tech, it's like ultimately what multiple does the market want to pay for these earnings? And so right now they're laying off some people, but really not that much to how many they hired over the last two years. So I still feel like, do I want to add to these? Yeah, I love the AI with Microsoft. I love the durability of Apple, but I'm not going to add to them right now. I'm going to wait and be patient because I do think these multiples will come down as earnings for the whole market come down as well. Hey, Weiss, give me a quick thought before you got to bounce. I know you got to get to the airport. Are you still with me? No, why? Yeah, there I'm, he is. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with ahead. you. Here's what I'd say: everything you own now, you'll be able to buy cheaper. I wouldn't sell what you own because in two th- years, three years, the stocks will be higher. But I also wouldn't look for a place to hide. 
The market's going to go down. You're going to lose money on positions you buy now. So get a better opportunity. Final thought, take a look at, at Microsoft. Take a look at Deer. You know, I was belittled by Farmer Jim for selling Deer at whatever, 420 or so. I'm getting it a lot cheaper. I want to buy it today. So be patient. Don't think you have to put money to work. Just wait. Economies come down. Markets come down. You get a better opportunity. At 420, he had his funding secured, perhaps, <laughs> in Deer. Why is you not leaving yet? Hold on. Hold your thought. Um, stay with me on the other side of the break because you sold something that I want you to get into, too. Dee, thank you for being here. Of course. That's Deer Jabosa here with us, too. Up next, big moves in the commodities complex today. I just told you uh, what Weiss is going to be t- telling you about something. Joe's been making moves. We're back after this. We've got some big moves in the commodity complex today, as we clearly have seen. Look at crude oil. Down near 7%, 66 and 65 cents or 62 cents. Steve Weiss, before you go, you just made a big move. Tell me about it. Yeah, I, I sold Dev and actually sold a little earlier in the week. And, and the reason is that this is a complete failure of risk management on my part. Uh, the reasons I bought it, which were Europe being short in gas and then China reopening, uh, driving more demand, their global commodities, uh, and it didn't work out. So I stuck with it because I like the company, good asset. But as I go through the portfolio, and I, was like, and I don't have a lot of positions, and I look at what I would buy uh, if the market went lower, Devin's just not in the top 10. There are plenty of others. So why hold on to it and see it go down and just continue to remind myself that I really screwed this one up and I should have got out of it when the events that I was looking for didn't turn out? So that's why I sold it. I think you should just keep reminding yourself of that anyway. And if you don't, it's, it's difficult, Scott. In I, fair, I will. Scott, I will. in fairness, it's it's <laughs> difficult to remind myself of mistakes because there's so few. Yeah. But I know. Uh, Such an easy retort. I should have expected that. Weiss, thanks for uh, coming in today. I appreciate it. I know you had other stuff going on, but we needed to hear from you today. Safe travels back. We'll see you soon. Gold up again. You've been playing that lately, right? Yep. That's the only thing that seems to be working right now. Um, Two reasons. I think when you look at the universe of commodities as the asset class, you'll see significant declines in the price of oil, heating oil, reformulated gasoline, but it extends further. It extends into the soft commodities. It extends to agriculture. So a lot of the money within the commodity asset class stays within the circle. Right now, uh, the place of attractiveness is gold and silver. And then to see the move in yields, the significant fall in yields, uh, we've talked at length this week about that being disinflationary, that speaks towards ownership of gold. So, yes, uh, and I might even buy more gold as this continues because I think it's moving clearly towards 2000. Bryn, you are right in the center of it all, down in the Houston area. Energy's a problem. What do you think? Well, energy is not a problem right now. I mean, from a trading perspective, remember earlier last year that WTI and energy stocks were extremely uncorrelated. Well, they've correlated now. And WTI, therefore the energy stocks, are following two-year yields, which are falling like a stone. And so either two-year yields and WTI, they're telling you we're going into a hard landing in a recession, 
while the market is telling you we're not. So to me, something's mispriced here. I think with Steve, it's important. If you're going to own these names, you know, price is the volatility of price is the volatility is the price of admission. You know, and so we've been once again buying names with yields and selling calls against those because those calls and the yield are giving you a return that just looking for capital appreciation, the energy space is really tough, especially on two years of, of really high outsized returns. So I'm, I'm not doing anything with my portfolio except maybe closing out some of my calls, waiting for it to rebound and then sell them again. Bryn, what's the chance that OPEC cuts? I mean, they just came out and said they're going to have a surplus. So, you know, I mean, to me, I don't necessarily trust what they're saying to begin with. And I think that with what's happening with European banks, there's a high level of nervousness. So I think this is more financial financial panicking versus real fundamentals in the market right now. All right, let's do a quick break. We come back, uh, take a look at stocks here. We're hovering around the lows of the day. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 687 points. Final thoughts and final trades are next. Nasty market today down 700 or thereabouts just a second ago on the Dow. It's come off that a, a touch, but nonetheless, there's a lot of pain all over the place today. The S&P, by the way, just went negative year to date as we continue to watch the slide more broadly exhibited there, down 2%. But the real story today, frankly, is in the Russell, which is down more than 3%, down 8.5% in a week because it contains a lot of those regional banks, those smaller regional banks where the pressure point has been so acute, has returned again today after a bit of a hiatus yesterday, down three and a third percent. Lows of the day at the moment for small caps. Join me three o'clock Eastern today as well. We've got a big guest coming up, Jeremy Siegel from the Wharton School. We're going to kick all of this around. You know he's been the loudest about what the Fed should do. Now we'll find out where he thinks the market's going, what he thinks is going to happen next week, and I hope all of you will join me there. Let's do final trades. Got to be quick. Bryn, what do you got? Um... PMAR, it's an innovator ETF. You get 15% protection on the downside against the S&P, but about 16% okay. of the upside, a defensive way to be invested. Okay. All right. Jason, quick. Uh, McDonald's, same store sales were up 12.6%, way above consensus. I think they'll perform all better all than right. their peers in the softening Bill, Bill Baruch. Bring out your 2019 playbook. AMD, it's at seven-month high, linger in there. Semis outperform. Just Pepsi. Okay, thank you. That does it for us. I'll see you then. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.